This is the Snug Podcast. In this episode, using video consultations in medical education. And their potential for really being a game changer when it comes to medical education in general practice. Space is a massive issue. Maybe we might need to do something that doesn't immediately deliver an increased benefit for clinical care, but down the line will deliver a benefit by there being more doctors being trained. Hello, you are very welcome to another episode of the Snug Podcast. We are the Scottish National Users Group for GPIT. I'm Andrew McElhinney, still a GP in NHS Fourth Valley and still loving it. Thank you for joining us. We do want more subscribers, so please find us on Apple or Google Podcasts or Spotify and hit subscribe. You won't regret it. Now, today we are thinking about video consultations for the first time in a while. We are focusing on their role in medical education. We've just had our annual Snug Conference, which was held last week at the Westwood Hotel. And if you weren't there, and you are a Snug member, well, you should have been. But you will be able to see the videos on the Snug website very soon. As you might expect, there was a big focus on GP system change, and a lot of reports on the experience of the first practices and the first users who have moved to the new system. And I have to say, I came home feeling just a little bit worried. There may be trouble ahead But while there's moonlight and music and love and romance Let's face the music and dance Now just talking to colleagues made me realise how stressed the world of general practice is out there in Scotland at the moment. And talking about introducing a big change of system which will affect every practice but particularly the EMIS practices going to be quite a big challenge but we will cope because we always do and we will embrace the change because it's an opportunity to tidy up our systems to re-examine our systems of organization data quality coding at the end of the day there are opportunities to learn from all the other practices in Scotland who are also going through a similar process as usual there were loads of good speakers and workshops at the conference but I was delighted to be able to speak for the podcast to one of the guest speakers Dr Richard Darnton. Richard's the Director of Studies in General Practice for the University of Cambridge School of Clinical Medicine. He's a GP trainer in his practice and he's also an examiner for the RCGP and at the conference he was promoting the idea of increasing the use of video consultations to improve medical education. Now you may well have used video consultations during the pandemic But I suspect, like most practices, you will probably now be focusing mainly on telephone and face-to-face consultations rather than using video. But today, Dr. Darnton makes the case for our rethinking our attitude to video consultations, as they may be really helpful in changing the way we do medical education for students and trainees and actually help us train more doctors who are badly needed to help rebuild general practice and the rest of the NHS. Have a listen. I'm delighted to welcome Dr. Richard Darnton uh, to the podcast today. Uh, you're very welcome. Thank you, Andrew. It's nice to be here. 
And uh, can you just tell us a bit about where you've come from and yeah. what you do? So I've flown up from the southeast of England and I work down there. I guess the main part of my job is uh, running the GP part of the medical course at Cambridge. Uh, we're in the sort of top 20% of medical schools in terms of how much primary care we have in our curriculum. So we're running about 3,000 placements a year. We're sending students all over the east of England, staying in for up to six weeks at a time at various practices. And um, we like to get them sitting in the hot seat from the get-go really seeing patients while they're being supervised by a GP uh, you know we're not really into them watching we we like them to actually do the doing so um, and we get rave reviews the students really rate their experience in general practice Cambridge traditionally doesn't produce huge numbers of GPs even though it has a lot of GP in the curriculum but the students are really positive about how much the GP experience helps them with their studies. So do, do you sense an enthusiasm for general practice? I think there's an enthusiasm for how useful it is as a learning experience. And often in medical courses where there's a lot of general practice, then those courses do produce a lot of GPs. At Cambridge... There is an enthusiasm for general practice, but what we've discovered is that students are very, very research focused. They want to have a research career. And we've been looking into why Cambridge doesn't seem to produce as many GPs as other universities, even though it has a lot of GP in the curriculum. And um, I've been running a a research project uh, where we're following a cohort of students through in, in three medical schools, one of which is Cambridge, and looking at um, their career interests and aspirations as they go through the course. And what really has come out so far is that the Cambridge students really, really want a research career. But students generally across all three medical schools didn't perceive general practice as a career that really facilitated um, getting involved in research. So so at Cambridge that's helped us to realise we need to do a bit of work helping students to see that you can have a research career in general practice. And, and you were a GP trained and then you went into academic general practice? Yeah, yeah. So so obviously I I'm, I'm work as a GP and a GP trainer. I've, before I worked for the university, I, I worked in postgraduate training for what was the deanery and then became Health Education England. I was an associate dean there. And then I've moved into undergraduate medical education, but obviously still keeping going with my, my GP training and that sort of thing. Brilliant. Oh, well, welcome to Scotland. And yes, it's great to have you at the conference this, this year. And can you just give us a, a rough outline what you're going to talk to us about? Yeah, so I'm going to be talking about um, video consultations and their potential for really being a game changer when it comes to medical education, particularly medical education in general practice. Interesting, yeah, because um, I guess over the last few years, video consultation has actually been something that a lot of GPs have dabbled with and and possibly walked away from, um, having favoured other methods, probably like the telephone and and face-to-face, which is obviously the, the traditional model. Where do you think video consultations sit against those yeah I mean this is a really interesting point as you say when face-to-face GP consultations were kind of not really an option right at the start of the pandemic 
uh, unless absolutely necessary, then video consultations were used a bit. And as you say, GP sort of dabbled in those. But very quickly, as soon as face-to-face became more possible, then videos just dropped right off. And that's really interesting. And there's uh, the, uh, there was a paper which I found really interesting about all of that by Trish Greenhouse called Why Do GPs Rarely Do Video Consultations Anymore? I can see you're nodding, Andrew. I, I found that really interesting because obviously they were just talking to healthcare workers and GPs about their perceptions of video consultation. And the perception among GPs was that the extra complexity that they perceived to be in a video consultation by means of all the technology and that sort of thing. They didn't feel there was extra benefit that was justified by that extra complexity. Now, that was the perception. I'm not sure that I share the same perception, but it's interesting to know that that's where we're at, that GPs may be feeling that if face-to-face is now an option or you can just pick up the phone, then why would you have the extra complexity of trying to get into a video consultation with the patient. In terms of complexity, are we talking logistics and actually getting the patient with a device and the doctor with a suitable device at the same time is just challenging? Yeah, I think that's the perception. It's really interesting, though, that in secondary care, video consultations are being used a lot Mm. more than in primary care. And one of the things that's come out from reading around the use of video consultations in primary care is that for structured types of clinics, they they were felt to work better. And obviously, a, a hospital outpatient clinic is a very structured mm-hmm. sort of thing. I guess, in general practice, there's often been this way of using telephone calls where, you know, you're running late, so you do all your face-to-face first, and then, then when you've caught up a bit or whatever, then you'll go back to some of the telephones that you missed. And you and so the patient is just expecting a telephone call some point that morning. Now, obviously, video consultations don't really facilitate working that way. So you can see why... GPs may not feel that a video is very helpful. So the timing's got to be pretty spot on. Yeah, but I guess what I've been thinking about is that what if we start running video clinics, you know, where the, where literally the whole clinic is a video clinic where patients are well selected and primed to be appropriate for that sort of clinic so you know reception team have clear protocols for who might be a good fit and for talking patients through that and then you have video first clinics where they don't start on the telephone and then switch to video halfway through or anything like that and it's not a mixture it's just this is a video clinic a bit more like you would have with an outpatient clinic in hospital Mm -hmm. and I kind of feel like that sort of setup might be more likely to be successful. Uh, I, I don't know about you, but I've had plenty of experiences where I've been on the phone. This was obviously in the height of the pandemic. Said, "Oh, you know, let's try switching to video," mm-hmm. and then there's problems or meeting up in the room. Something doesn't happen. The patient's not there, and then you have to get back on the phone. Or the lighting's terrible. And you're thinking, actually, a photo would have been even better of this skin thing. Well, that's it. I mean, we found that a lot of patients liked photos and sending yeah. them. Yeah. Whereas they wouldn't necessarily like the FaceTime-y sort of no, encounter. No, no. But I think, I think, absolutely. And I think 
photos, if you want to look at some skin or you want to eyeball something that that's just a visual image, I think a photo is, is much better. It's than, much better than listening to a description of it, isn't it? Yeah, but it's also better than trying to look at it on video, I think. You oh. know, if a patient's got time to take a really good photo and send it through then that's much better than fiddling around with poor lighting and poor Wi-Fi signal and that sort of thing. But I still feel that if that there are patients and there are conditions where if we set up video-first clinics that patients can choose to opt into, that, that, that there are situations where that that could work for for patients. It definitely could, and I guess you've got rural practices and, and saving people the travelling time, and there's lots of advantages, but you still need to more or less sell this. You know, and there's a bit of yeah. change of mindset needed, there's, I think. Yeah, and I think we should come back to that, because I think that's a really... You probably know better than me, in terms of your involvement with Snug, that so much of change with relation to IT is is actually about wider change issues, isn't it? Yeah. Yes, I mean, you're talking about having a structured video-only yeah. clinic, and I'm still seeing this potential barrier to, you know, what happens if we don't have enough people on that day who want a video appointment, are you going to have wasted slots? Yeah. And then, you yeah. know, that kind of thing. So I, I, I just think practically we found that there hasn't been enough demand. I mean, we've offered it in our practice yeah. you know, since before the pandemic. Yeah. We had very, very small numbers of people who almost liked the novelty of it. Yeah. Or, or I had a student who found it very helpful because she didn't have to come in from Glasgow. Yes. Know, but very small numbers. Yeah. I guess if a, if a patient doesn't want to have to come in, then... It, their, their natural thing is going to be to want to just do a telephone call, isn't it? Potentially. That's what we find. Yeah. I mean, what I kind of thought the big value of, of maybe having the video option was if you needed to see an ill baby just to yeah. eyeball them. Yeah. And actually, okay, it is a hassle trying to get the, you know, the connection and everything, but actually it's valuable and it could save you bringing that mum in well, or yeah. whatever. Yeah, and that's, what, and, and that's a really interesting point because there's um, a GP called Rebecca Payne who has been publishing some work on video consulting with relation to out-of-hours in Scotland and rural mm. out of hours stuff and it's exactly for that sort of thing and sh- and they did a presentation about that at the Royal College of GPs annual conference in October so yeah out of hours rural GP eyeballing a kid but I guess Andrew I, I guess so you're saying well if we did video first clinics we might not be able to get patients to really to book into them because ultimately if they don't want to come in they're generally going to want to just have a telephone call and I think that's a really good point I guess I've got to declare an interest here and my interest is that if we did have video first clinics then suddenly we've opened up a whole host of advantages in terms of teaching medical students Okay, and that's and where that's we're, a game changer. That's where we're getting to, isn't it? The sort of yeah. selling the the vision of this for the future. And that's what's tricky because if you can see that there's something that would really change and actually really advance medical education for the future, but actually the driver for for making that sort of clinic work is the medical education rather than the clinical care. <laughs> then where do you go with that? <laughs> because obviously it's not going to disadvantage patients' clinical care. But as you're saying, well, if it could be done on the telephone much more simply, then why is anyone going to do it? So how do we, as people who really need to expand medical education, really need to leverage those benefits for medical education, how do we 
persuade the wider community that this is a good way yeah. to consult? Yeah. yeah, because if they're feeling well, the benefits for clinical care don't really justify the extra complexity. Are they going to do it just because the benefits for medical education do justify the extra complexity? And so it's a weird thing where, you know, and maybe there are examples in the past where benefits for clinical care haven't always driven change, but maybe benefits for medical education might have driven some change. And ultimately, there's a wider need in society sometimes to bring in, if, you know, if we need more doctors. Which we clearly do. Which we clearly do. And patients benefit from us having more doctors. So maybe we might need to do something that doesn't immediately deliver an increased benefit for clinical care. But down the line, we'll, we'll deliver a benefit by there being more doctors being trained. Yeah, no, it's really interesting. And, and how do you actually see video consultations being of such value in education? Well, a few things, really. Video consultations have loads of benefits. And one key benefit is that it, it makes it really easy for people in different locations to all meet in a virtual video consulting room. So you can have the patient at home, you can have the student at a university room or in their home, and you can have a supervising doctor in a hospital or in a, or in a primary care centre. And that has loads of benefits. For example, healthcare centres and hospitals are bursting at the seams when it comes to space. They're, you know, they're bursting at the seams with staff and learners, and it's very hard to find places to put people particularly clinical spaces and the Royal College of GPs as you're probably aware have produced this recent document on infrastructure and the crisis in infrastructure and they've said that you know space is a massive issue and they've mentioned in that document that it's impacting the future of medical education because we haven't got space to put learners because we're using every bit of space for the learners that we've got but also for the increased number of additional role staff and and that sort of thing that need clinical consulting rooms. So we're really short of space, but we need to get more doctors trained. We need more medical students. And in England, at least, double medical student numbers is an NHS policy and, and is going to be coming very soon. Where are we going to put them all if the premises that we've got are just chock full of students? Well... If students can dial into a consultation and and lead that consultation from somewhere off-site, they're not needing their own consulting room, then suddenly we've we've decoupled the need for space with the need for students to be able to consult with patients under supervision. Now, I'm not saying that is what all medical education should be. I'm a big believer in students being face-to-face in consulting rooms or on wards or in outpatients clinics, consulting with patients face-to-face. You know, that is the gold standard. That's what I'm a big believer in. But I feel like this is a tool that we need to keep in our back pocket, which is going to be very useful until we've sorted the space crisis, um, at least in primary care. And just to finish off by saying you know there is a real space crisis in primary care as I mentioned we surveyed all our teaching practices that we use got a fantastic 96% response rate and after clinical workload they said that space was the next biggest threat to them continuing 
to teach medical students. Lack of space. Okay, I mean, I guess another current topic is the fact that GP trainees will be doing their RCGP SCA in video. Yeah, now that's fascinating. I mean, the RCGP are very keen to point out that these are not video consultations. (laughs) Uh, that these are just consultations with simulated patients that just happen to be occurring using this modality. But via video. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so that's that's the mantra, that these are not video consultations. But to me, the very fact that they have taken this route shows that there are massive benefits of trying to decouple clinical teaching and clinical assessment from space. And there'd be massive benefits for the college doing that with the SCA. You don't have to get people all in one place. You don't have problems with them. They're not being able to get there. You can, you know, they're they're able to just have way more people being examined in one go than they could otherwise because there's no space constraints. The only constraint is whether or not the technology can handle that number of people and and whether you've got enough examiners. But that's amazing when we think that before, you know, there was a finite capacity to the uh, exam centre at Euston Road. Well, now um, that's not an issue. And and so that tells us that there are benefits from using this modality. Whether we call those video consultations or not in the SCA, it tells us something about the benefits that can be leveraged. Sure. What I'm interested in is that you've highlighted the advantages of convenience and well you mentioned space a lot of times but if the gold standard for education on consulting skills is face to face will students and trainees not be as good at consulting if they are doing more via a different medium oh it's a really good question i mean we undertook interviews with students and supervisors who were involved in the first placement that occurred after students went back into GP surgeries in the pandemic. And that occurred for us in uh, the the first final year's big placement occurred in November 2020. That was when students went back into placement uh, in the final year. And November 2020, there was a national lockdown in England. So it was a great time to be talking to them afterwards about How was your placement, given that we were on a national lockdown and so you had to do loads of non-face-to-face consulting? You see, prior to the pandemic, we steered our supervisors away from giving students experience of telephone consultations or or, or other forms of remote consultations. It was all face-to-face. So then imagine they've been doing all face-to-face, then you have the pandemic, then they go back into practice and suddenly... There's a lot of remote consulting that they're doing and they've never really been doing that before. So what what did that mean to the to their learning experience? And that's what we asked them and we asked the supervisors as well. And you can read that paper online. It's called Primary Care Placements in the Post-COVID Era. I'll put a link to it. Thank you. And basically what was really interesting was we were expecting people to say, yeah, it's not as good. It's not as good a learning experience as as before the pandemic when it's all face to face. But actually, if you just take telephone, 
consultations as an example, they were saying, no, this really tests our consultation skills. It tests our clinical reasoning. We're having to think really carefully about what questions we ask. And uh, we're, gonna ha- we're having to think really carefully about how we're communicating with patients. And, and that really came through that, that there were extra benefits for learning that you get with telephone that you don't get with face-to-face. Mm-hmm. Not that therefore we should switch, you know, forget about face-to-face, but it's just that there are specific benefits for different modalities. So, and similarly, with, they were saying with the video consultations that, you know, you get all this social context. You get, and there was this beautiful quote about, we got a window into this patient's world. You, you were, there's this lovely quote about, I could see this mum with, you know, kids just everywhere and, you know, carnage and, you know, she was trying to focus and it helped us to understand what her life was like. In a world where we don't do that many home visits anymore, exactly. actually seeing into people's own environment is, is really valuable. Yeah, yeah. So will learners get de-skilled if they're not doing 100% face-to-face consulting? No. And it's always going to be a mixture of modalities. Mm-hmm. And I can't see a future where we somehow end up having learners that aren't getting face-to-face contact. That's, that's always going to be the, the main course. Um, but we are going to have to to use these other methods. And technologies, yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I guess it's, it's been fascinating talking to people on these podcasts about the different tools that have become available increasingly frequently over the last few years, you know, and, and how they might shape the new landscape of, yeah. of, of general practice in the future. I mean, are you optimistic about general practice for the future? Oh, that's a really good question. I mean, people say, oh, you know, general practice just isn't working, this kind of thing. And I'm like, well, really? Is is that is that general practice that's not working? Or is that just not being given the tools to do the job, not being given the resources that we need to, to meet the demand? I guess, you know, I don't want to make that an excuse for not doing things differently. I do think we need to do things differently. Um, but I think the fact that general practice is in crisis is not a consequence of the nature of general practice. You know, I love general practice. Just about every practice probably in the UK is actually set up with the ability to carry out video consultations now. You know, the infrastructure's there, people have yeah. webcams and, yeah, and, and yeah. stuff, but we're not using it, as we said earlier, very much. Would you hope that if you can promote this idea of videos being used for education more, that that might be able to use the existing sort of infrastructure that is is out there? Yeah, well, I mean, I think there's two parts to that question. I, I mean, one is how could we promote video consultations being used more? And I think that's a, you know, that is a massive change project. In terms of the infrastructure that's there already, not all platforms have waiting rooms. So I know that near me, has a waiting room and that's what you use in Scotland which is great I mean the first paper we did on all this called medical students consulting from home and one of the big things that came through from that is you really need a waiting room if you've got medical students because you need to be able to have the doctor and the student be able to chat and debrief and pre-brief as well before the patient comes in talk about the patient that's about to come in or, or talk about the patient that's just left. Now, remember, that's fine if the if the doctor and the medical student are physically in the same consulting room. But if the medical student is off-site, dialing in separately, 
then you've got to be able to recreate that pre-brief and debrief thing. And you, it's hard to do that without a waiting. Without a waiting yeah. um, so it's great that Near Me has that. Uh, Zoom has that as well. I don't know if you remember, but during the pandemic in the early days, I don't know if it was the same in Scotland, but we were kind of, oh, you mustn't use Zoom. Well, Zoom got written off by NHS Scotland. Yeah. And yeah. Teams is using yeah. everything now, and yeah. Zoom is like a yeah. word. But yeah. yes, I think Zoom is great. Yes, one. and obviously that at the time, was it because there were some security concerns? Yes, or concerns yes. Or uh, initially yeah. there were. But it's weird, isn't it? And uh, what I noticed later on was that some hospitals are using Zoom for outpatient consultations. So an example I noticed was um, University College London Hospital. They explicitly talk about using Zoom. And so, you know, and like I say, Zoom's got a, has got a waiting room. So, so it's actually quite Yeah. So I'd love it if we could just... But, but there are other platforms which we use a lot in England. And, Attached and, to the clinical systems? Um, yeah, or that have been procured and then sort of have plugins to the clinical system and that sort of thing that don't have some really popular ones that don't have waiting rooms. Okay. And that that's gutting, really. Mm-hmm. Other things that we need within the platform are the ability to, for a student who's based off-site, to be able to read that patient's notes in that moment in time and even be able to do an entry in them, but without them having to have full access to the whole clinical system remotely. And that doesn't seem to have occurred yet. Well, you can design that, maybe. Yeah, I mean, it would be brilliant. And I do think, I, I think there is some work to be done. And, and, and I think somebody could really, I think right now, the, the circumstances are ripe for a company to come forward and say to medical schools, you know, we can produce this platform for you and it will integrate with the mm. key clinical systems and it will provide you with these functionalities that are going to really work for medical education another thing that you could build in really easily would be um just integrating uh, consent into the video platform well yeah 14 fish do that well don't they? yeah they do exactly exactly that's a brilliant example so it'd be nice you know there are we, we've got examples of People doing people it. doing different bits. We just need it all in one thing. So yeah, so I guess those are my thoughts about infrastructure. But we've done a paper recently called Medical Students Consulting from the Home and the Health Centre. It was a kind of 2022 paper looking now, you know, the pandemics started to recede. How much is remote consulting used in medical education? on our patch again got a really good response rate and then we got fantastic uh, qualitative data our, the, our gp supervisors were amazing and just wrote loads about how they felt about different consultation modalities in medical education and how they felt about supervising those different modalities and we got loads of s- stuff from that about what would the barriers be to wider use of video consulting, wider use of students consulting off-site. And when you look at some of those challenges, one of the challenges mentioned is, well, the technology needs some tweaking, we need some extra functionality. But there are other challenges there as well that are mentioned. And I think those other challenges potentially are probably more complex to overcome. It'll be really good to hear your talk tomorrow and actually sell that and see, you know, if people, you know, do take this on board. Yes. But um, I, I kind of think dinner is probably beckoning, <laughs> yes. Richard. <laughs> I'm sure you must be uh, ready for... Well, this. you know, Andrew, I could talk about this stuff all night, really, once you get me going, but it's been really nice to... Well, thanks a million. And um, yeah, thanks for joining us. It's great to be here. Thanks, Andrew. Cheers. Thank you. 
So brilliant to speak to Richard there. And as usual, when we have these conversations, my preconceptions are challenged and there are all these thoughts for improving the way we do things and really the challenge that video consultations have the potential to be a game changer in medical education. And maybe the way to think about doing them is to have these video first clinics, as Richard calls them, rather than trying to fit them into other surgeries, to organize them well, to select the patients who are interested in doing it. And of course, there will be challenges around timing and technology, but thinking about the benefits these can provide and the opportunity to save travel and use our space better. And then the idea of using a platform which has a waiting room with the opportunity for communicating well between the supervisors and the students. Loads to think about. And as usual, if you have comments, if you have thoughts, please email us. So that's it for this episode. Great to be with you again and hope to speak to you soon. Keep smiling. Let's face the music and dance.